This morning, I want to hit a top, uh, hot topic. Sometimes there's things we do not discuss in church we should discuss in church. Something like, Rex, you've never talked about giving before. The giving is all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It's very scripturally clear that we need to give back to the Lord, but you probably haven't heard me preach on that lately, have you? Uh, I know in the youth group they talk about love, dating, and sex, and have, when's the last time you heard me talk about that? You know, I grew up in a church where you didn't, maybe you said love and dating, but you didn't say that last word, right? Okay? You just don't talk about that in, in church. But in a couple weeks, on a Friday night, April 12th, I invite you all back here for a free night to hear Mo Isom as she shares her incredible story. And you'll hear more about that coming up. But she wrote a book called um, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations that the Church Forgot About. Incredible book. And as I was reading this book, I had my office, and I brought it with me to write some stuff out of. And somebody came, and I like, flipped the book over. <laughs> you have to remember, I grew up in a Baptist church, and so you just, we didn't talk about those kind of things. It's like, I don't want them to see the book I'm reading, right? There's just some things, it's like, do we talk about this? And so then even something like the topic of abortion. Do we talk about that? So this morning, I want to invite you to, to ask God just to still your heart, to take your opinions, to take what this world has said, and just let it settle. And invite Christ to speak to you this morning. Let his Holy Spirit move in us as we hear his words, and prayerfully not mine. I'm going to be sticking to my notes a little bit more because I don't want to miss a beat. As I've studied for this in the last couple weeks, I got pages of notes that I was sifting through. It's like, how do I condense this down? So we might run maybe five minutes over. I apologize for that. But I'll try to stay on track, and I'm going to use my notes to help me. And, And here's the thing I want you to know. Here's the thing. We learned from the book of John chapter 3, we've been, we were up to the end of John chapter 3, we learned in the Bible that there's new life in Jesus Christ. So when we admit, when we confess our sins to a holy God, he forgives us. And he gives us new life. We call that eternal life. He is our Savior. He saves us. But Jesus Christ just isn't our Savior. He's our Lord, which means he also directs our paths and our life choices that we need to go. So I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I've asked for forgiveness of sins. He gives me eternal life, and that eternal life happens now. Not when I die, but now. And then I ask him to be my Lord to help me live this life. So we surrender ourselves to him. He is Lord of all. He is Lord. We are his servants, so to say. We are his people. We represent his kingdom. And that is good news. Now look what it says in John chapter 3, verse 36. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Let me hear you say that's good news. That's good news, yeah. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Now, we know, like I said, when we have this new life in Jesus Christ, we know it. If you've prayed that prayer and you've asked me, you know you have new life. But let me ask you this. When does physical life begin? We know when eternal life begins. When does physical life begin? Oh, that's where the debate might start, right? The children we just had on stage. When did their life begin? What day were they born? December 20th. That's right before Christmas because you guys came to the Christmas service. I was like, what are you doing? You just had twins and you're here? That's awesome. Okay, so December 20th. So did life begin for them on December 20th? Did life begin for them nine months earlier? 
people will argue about this, right? Understand this, the beginning of life, the value of life, according to God's word, helps us understand why God commands us to love one another, to forgive one another, to be kind to one another. He's not just saying, I want you to do this. I'm commanding you to do these things. And then he, oh, he throws out that really big one. Remember this one? Thou shalt not murder. That's sort of a big one, isn't it? Man, that made the top 10 in Exodus chapter 20, right? Thou shalt not murder the extinguishing of life, the ending of a life, the taking away of a life. It's pretty clear cut, isn't it? It's, it's pretty black and white. There is no, well, what do you mean by murder? No, 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 no. It's, it's really clear to end life. But we know that God gave these commands because of this. Because to God, life matters. Life is precious. Do not extinguish what he created, right? However, today the topic of abortion, pro-life, pro-choice surfaces more than ever before. It's a, it's a major topic of issue uh, in our nation. And yet sometimes the church is silent about it. No one wants to offend anybody. We know it's wrong. We don't want to say it's wrong because if I say it's wrong, you might get mad and walk out of here. You might disagree with me and I don't want people to be in disagreement with me and and I don't want people to be upset. So I just won't say anything, right? We don't want to offend anybody. Here's the deal. We are so worried about stepping on people's toes that we forget to charge the gates of hell. So there's a point in time when we have to proclaim truth. And if I step on your toes, it's not to hurt you. It's not on purpose. I want to share God's truth with you, so please listen carefully. We need to have clarity concerning the issue of life and its value. And as the pastor of this church, I stand clearly with the scriptures. I base my opinion on God's word. This is not a buffet, okay? I'm just going to pick and choose. I like that, don't like this, like this, don't like that. That's a buffet. No, this is your whole course meal right here to be taken as a whole. Study the scriptures, know God's word, declare what it is to be true. And listen, I can't be swayed by popular opinion or fearful of what people may think of me or this church. Oh, we're going to be critical of true north. If you're going to criticize us for being honest, criticize us for being honest. We will tell the truth. We will study the truth. We will proclaim the truth. And I must be honest. I must protect those. When you enter the doors of this church, I am responsible for teaching you truth. I also stand before you this. Listen very carefully. I also stand before you this as an imperfect man. I've confessed this before you before, and you know this as well. I can be just as sinful as you, if not more. I've made my share of sins. I've asked for forgiveness. And I know this, I will probably mess up again. Probably before the day is over, I'll probably mess up again. But regarding abortion, I understand that this is a personal issue. But here's the thing. Our personal issues always directly affects other people. Every day we make choices, good and bad. And no matter what choice we make, it will affect the person next to us. I've told you this story before. I'll share it again. It's really simple. I'll never forget because Melinda Robinson sent me a cork one time uh, to remind me of this story. And that is this. Two men are sitting in a fishing boat out in the middle of the lake. One gets his fishing pole out, casts it out, and starts fishing. The other man pulls out a drill and starts drilling into the seat of his boat. The man with the fishing pole looks over and says, what are you doing? 
guy at the drill says, drill in the hole in my seat. Drilling right into the floor. And he goes, but, but look, that, 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 get your pull out. That's not a good thing to do. And he's like, hey, hey it's my seat. I'll do what I want to do with it. And the man at the pole goes, but it's our boat. And you're going to sink us. Point being in that whole thing, and the cork that she sent me is reminding me to plug that hole, right? The point being is this. You may call it your life. Oh, it's my choice. It's my seat. I'll do what I want to do. I understand that. Might be your seat. Might be your life. But it's our church body. And it does directly affect people around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the church. So the choices we make, we must be careful with. We believe it's our choice to do as we please. But in the body of Christ... We realize that our good decisions and destructive behaviors affect the whole body. It may be private, but it still hurts publicly and it hurts others, especially yourself. So regarding the subject of abortion, I need to share it to you today from God's worth. I'm not about condemning anybody. Please listen carefully. I'm not here to, to point my finger at you and, and wiggle it at you and say shame on you. I'm not condemning or shaming anybody who has had an abortion. Listen, we have all sinned. We've told lies. We've taken things that don't belong to us. We have lusted. We have disobeyed our parents. We have excessive pride. So we have all felt its shame before, haven't we? But here's the good news is that God's love covers all those sins. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. For all those sins Christ died for. And he forgives our sins. Listen, I'm not the sin police. I don't wear a badge up here trying to catch people sinning. Okay? I don't do that. I don't get on Facebook and stalk people trying to find out their bad things. Matter of fact, I try to avoid those things so I don't have to see what some of you are doing. Okay? Not you, but other people. You know what I'm saying? You're all perfect in here. Okay? But I'm not the sin police. It's not my job, and it's not yours either, is it? God will judge. Not us. But God also forgives, and we need that, don't we? So today, I, I will say what Jesus says, and that is this. Go and sin no more. Do you remember that? Do you remember uh, this woman was caught in the act of adultery? She was brought to Jesus. Jesus was sitting there and talking to the disciples, drawn on the ground. And, and, and these religious leaders brought this woman caught in adultery and said, Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, she must be stoned, put to death. And they all picked up rocks, getting ready to stone her. And Jesus didn't say anything, and they sort of continued to press the issue. And finally, he said, let you, without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody dropped their stones, right? Because nobody's perfect. We've all sinned. And they walked away. Then what did Jesus say? Hey, go ahead and head on. Forget about it. No. He said what? Go and sin no more. He forgave her, but then said, now stop sinning. And that would be the same thing with us. God forgives us, but he asks us then to stop sinning. We're guilty. We know we've messed up and we need to stop, right? So again, I'm not here to condemn or judge. This isn't about making anybody feel bad. Matter of fact, when we sin, we already feel bad enough, don't we? Listen, when I make a mistake and, you know, it happens every now and then at home, I might, might be brought to my attention that I made a mistake, okay? In that moment, what do we do? Maybe we get a little defensive, right? Like, I, didn't, I didn't mean to. No, 
or I know, I know, I know, I know. We already feel bad enough, right? I'm not here, again, to make you feel bad. I'm here to share the truth of God's word. I want you to know how precious life is. And if God is against something that destroys this precious creation, shouldn't we be? I simply ask you to prayerfully open your ears and your heart to today's message. With that being said, turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. In this Old Testament scripture, it's an Old Testament, towards the middle of the book, I'll read this verse to you. It says this, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Did you hear that? Let me read this again. This is very carefully. If, if you're turning, just pause for a second. Listen. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Think about that. God tells Jeremiah, before you were even created in your, before you were even a thought about what your mom and dad had about you or before having you, before all that, I formed you. I knew you. I knew you before you were formed. Before you were even born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet of the nations. Consider this truth, that life comes from life. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? But think about this. All life comes from previously existing life. The life of our children came from life. My life came from the life before me, and so forth and so on. All living people come from existing living people, which means you can go, we can trace ourselves all the way back to who? Adam and Eve, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this, And God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. We are created in God's image. We are created with purpose. We are created with value. But some people may not agree. No, 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 no. Life didn't exist way back then. Well, then when does your life actually begin physically? Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, we'll pick it up in verse 13. It's a familiar psalm that some of you have maybe heard before. Psalm 139, verse 13 said this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. This is the psalmist talking to God. Now listen to this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together. Does anybody know how to knit? I, I just do this. Does that look like I'm knitting? I have no clue whatsoever. It's, maybe it's miniature symbols. I don't know. You knit together. So picture this. God's knitting you and I. Before we were ever born. This is what the scripture says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven, there's that knitting together, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The psalmist says, it's like God is, is knitting me and weaving me together before I'm even born. I'm in my mother's womb in that utter seclusion, that dark place. And we know this today. That if you were to take tissue from a human being and you put it under the microscope, that it looks, the tissue looks like it is woven together. Isn't it cool now that we can look at science and say, hey, look. Oh, wait, God already talked about that a long time ago. But I love how science is finally catching up to what if God's already told us. Verse 15 and 16 says, the secret place in the depths of the earth. That was a reference to the womb. The psalmist is referring to the womb of a woman. It was, a, it was a secret to them. They did not have today's medical terminologies and examinations that we have today. So to them, it was a secret place. It was that dark, uh, it's called the, the depths of the earth. We obviously know more now medically about the womb of a woman. He says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. While the baby is developing, God's looking on us. Isn't that incredible? He is playing an active role. He is knitting. He is weaving. And then this whole conception to birth is beyond our understanding. I mentioned this in the first service. I said this. If God is sitting in there knitting and weaving us together, abortion is basically somebody coming in and snatching out from God's hands that which he is weaving before he is finished. I don't know about you, but I would not be grabbing anything out of God's hands. Ecclesiastes, let's turn to this passage here. I'll put it up on the screen for you. As he was saying, this whole conception of birth is beyond our understanding. Well, look what Solomon, the wisest man that walked the planet, said this. He goes, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind, that is a mystery to us, right? Or the what? Mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. We're not going to understand what's going on inside of a woman. And some of the men are like, yeah, buddy, okay? No, I'm not talking about the womb of a woman. And someone's like, yeah, buddy, okay? The birth process is amazing. Now, I spent a lot of time this week researching, and I'm going to tell you this. I don't remember any of this stuff in health class. I really don't. Or biology. Um, it was not my, when I went to college, this was not my field of study, Okay. I learned so much this week, and I'm like, wow, okay. So what I did, I got the help of a guy by the name of Dr. David Menton, Ph.D., cell biology, biomedical research, technician at the Mayo Clinic and so forth. He had a lot of um, incredible things behind his name. I took pages of notes, and I tried to sum it up. And let me just say this. The birth process is amazing, okay? Now let me run through some things with you here, and I'm going to refer to my notes a lot so I do not miss this. Because again, the function of a woman's body, the uterine tube, the releasing the egg, the fertilization process, all that, incredible. Okay, so let's start with this. Where does human life begin? Medical schools will use this as a definition. Medical schools, okay, not Christian schools, medical schools. Although life is what? What do I have underlined there? Continuing process. Going back to scripture, right? Fertilization is a critical landmark because under ordinary circumstances, a new genetically distinct human organism is formed when the chromosomes of the male and female pronuclei blend in the oocyte. All right. 
So what, was, what are we learning here from the medical schools? They're saying life is a continuous process. However, when somebody becomes pregnant, now that something new is being added into this life process, where cells are fusing together and something incredible is starting to take place. It's not start, stop, start again. It's continuous. So let's consider this now. This is what happens. Definition, because some people are like, well, I think it's at conception. So let's go to this. From Stedman's Medical Dictionary, conception redefined. It was first defined, but now it's redefined. 1995 is this. Conception is the act of conceiving or becoming pregnant, fertilization of the oocyte, the ovum, by a spermosome to form a viable zygote. Now let's fertilize eggs. So fertilization and conception are the same thing according to this definition. However, you ever heard this term? I know you've heard it a lot lately. Somebody moved the goalpost. Do you understand what that term means? It's like, well, we knew what the answer was, but now somebody sort of changed it. Now we've got to come up with another answer, okay? So this is what happened. Somebody changed this definition five years later. Look what they did. They took out that whole becoming pregnant part, and they replaced it with the implantation of the blastocyte in the endometrium. Yeah, so... That process takes place nine or ten days later, which means during the first nine or ten days after conception, the drugs that people can take or the sterilization process that people can take, they can take that and not feel like they're killing anything. But they are. But thanks to the new medical term, you're not if you're past the nine or ten days. I went on to learn about two-cell stage, the blastocyte stage, making of the placenta, the growth of the baby. I learned that at day seven... The embryo has cells fusing together. Blood vessels are filling the embryo. Blood clotting is not taking place, which we know blood clotting must take place for us to survive, right? But here, it cannot take place, otherwise the baby would die. It's a miracle, right? The placenta that surrounds the baby at 40 days, the, the, the blood exchange between the baby and the mother through the placenta is incredible. The one thing that it doesn't protect, though, the placenta, is the passing of alcohol or recreational drugs like cocaine. Any of that that's coming into a woman's body is going right into the baby. The placenta, though, does protect it from all these other things, though. I learned that the baby has to make its own red blood cells, so to make hemoglobin, um, you need iron. The amazing thing is, iron doesn't pass through the placenta barrier as well. So the mother has a special protein that picks up some of that and takes it through the placenta into it. Again, the body is amazing how it works. I don't fully understand it. This is no accident, right? Baby's blood has a hemoglobin as well as the mother, but the hemoglobin of the baby is a, is a, um, a fetal hemoglobin. It develops differently. It contains more oxygen. So it's, this would happen. A horrific thing, okay? A horrific thing happens. A mother, say she, she drowns, and she's at nine months, okay? And she drowns. They pull her out, and she doesn't make it they can still rescue the baby because of that fetal hemoglobin that's in it. Again, a miraculous thing that God has made within this child to preserve life. Every artery in the wall, the embryonic wall, closes off at the time of birth, which is important because there's about a half a quart of blood that's flowing all the time. And if that did not close off at the time of, prayer, at the time of birth, the mother would bleed to death. But somehow, all these, um, uh, the embryonic wall, every artery just closes. Amazing. God is amazing. Let me show you a picture here. Four-week embryo. 
the one on the left, I was reminded that the heart is beating, blood is pumping, nervous system is developing, spinal cord grows quicker than the body. It says that looks like a tail. That's the spinal cord. Okay, that's four weeks. Now we're told that it's seven week development. It's not called a baby yet, although look at it on the right. There's a detectable heartbeat at 18 days, brain activity at 40 days, eight weeks. We call it a fetus because now the organs are in place, fingers, toes, eyes can all be seen. Let me show you a 12 week fetus, as they call it. Baby, it's a baby. Fingerprints, fingernails, facial expressions, fine hair on the face. It swallows, responds to touch. It will grasp an object in his hand. He sucks his thumb. He's about four inches tall. Four inches tall. It's amazing. You guys remember in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 44, when Elizabeth has John the Baptist. She's seven months pregnant. She sees Mary. Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And it says what? The baby within Elizabeth leaped for joy. So John the Baptist would have looked like this inside when he was the first one to praise Jesus. Isn't that awesome? At nine months, the baby is in position to be born. It's ready to go. But here's one thing left. It's called delivery. Now the ladies are starting to wince right now, right? Okay. Now, it's like this. This was described to me. I'm just the messenger, okay? It's like this. You build a boat in your basement. Men, we like, yeah, I just built a boat in my basement. How are you going to get it out? I don't know. But I got an awesome boat in the basement. I have no idea how I'm going to get it out. Um, and it's that sort of thing. You've got a wonderful life within you, ladies. And now the question is, how are you going to get it out? Your pelvic bone is created in such a way that the baby will not fit. But God made, there's three areas where tissue will stretch a little bit to help. But yet, the baby still needs its head to be turned 90 degrees to bring the child out. Now, again, I'm just delivering the message here, okay? But as I'm learning all this, I'm going, I was just in there and I saw Colin, Carter, and Clay all come out. But I didn't know all this was going on. It's amazing. And so when Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, going back to what he wrote, he says, the mystery of how a child is being born in the womb and so forth. I'm going, preach it, Solomon. It is a mystery. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. Yet, knowing all this, please listen. Knowing all this, seeing the pictures, know this, that 881,000 babies were aborted this year. Precious life extinguished. Now, we need to be made aware of something. Let me share you this with The devil is a liar. He will distort truth. He will use tactics and ideas and good-sounding programs to make us believe that this is all okay. It's not. There's a new movie being called, uh, being released here called Unplanned. Some of you maybe heard about it. It's basically a movie that's been put out to help you understand what goes on in an abortion. And it is a movie that I know some areas are going to be using to help uh, provide ministry care, to help people that have gone through an abortion to find hope and healing. For those that are considering abortion, abortion to understand, this is not a good idea. For those of us to understand that like, this is what goes on with abortion, this has got to stop. So the movie that's coming out has no nudity, no language, no um, violence, car crashes, people shooting each other, anything like that. But it was given an R rating. You know why? Because of the violence of the abortion. See, the people who decided to put the ratings on this movie said, we can't let people know about the truth. 
put an R rating on it, that will narrow down the number of people that can watch this movie. It was done purposely. You know the amazing thing about those people that came up with that? They are hypocrites. They're the ones that support abortion, the violence of it, but yet they're telling you it's too violent to look at, so you shouldn't. It's, 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 you shouldn't. Wow. Speaking out of both sides of the mouth, they say, right? So we asked, well, why are, why are people making these choices then? I mean, life is valuable. Look what God is saying about life. It's so precious, right? We hear a lot of stories like, well, maybe they made it because there's some, some technical issues. Um, the, the mother something or the baby. And look at this graph. The Guttmacher Institute in 2004 released this. They surveyed 1,200 different abortive women from nine different abortion clinics, and they asked them, why did you get an abortion? You will notice, and it's hard to read, but 92% at the top, there's less than 8% of the reasons why maybe they made their decision. But the bottom ones, 92% plus, chose to have an abortion out of convenience. Convenience. When you consider those who are killed in war, this is another tough graph to see, so let me help you out here. On the bottom, all those lines going across, those are all major wars that took place in our world across different countries and nations, okay? A lot of them obviously like uh, were the World War I, World War II, Civil War. See all those little blue dots on the bottom? Those are all the people that died under 100 million. See that line to the left that goes all the way to the top that reaches over 1.4 billion? That's the number of abortions globally. More abortions than those ever killed in war in mankind's history. Saying all that, abortion will do a few things. It may make you cry. It may make you get angry. It may make you wonder, why have we not talked about this before? Let me share some more things that are being put out there that you do not, maybe you're not aware of, maybe you are. Some of you probably have done more research on this than me. You may be familiar with the term eugenics. You meaning good, genetics being born. So being, being, being born good, no defects, no disease. Basically, the Nazis called this the blonde hair, blue eyes. This is what we want. Term became more familiar in history when Francis Galton, he's the cousin of Charles Darwin, by the way. You recognize that name from evolution. He says this, eugenics must be introduced into the institutional conscience, into a new religion, it has indeed strong claim to become an orthodox religious tenet for the future. For eugenics cooperates with the working of nature by securing that humanity shall be represented by the fittest races. What nature does blindly, slowly, and ruthlessly, man must do providentially, quickly, and kindly. Some of you are like, what did you just say? Eugenics is this. Just like nature, trees, animals, things naturally die, just let them die. Let them die. Mankind doesn't work that way. We see somebody dying, we see a defect, we see um, sickness, we see poorness. We step in and try to help. What Dalton here is saying, I'm sorry, Francis Galton is saying, is we, human, mankind, must step in providentially, which is the word that I really like to provide for God only, the providence of God, right? We must play the role of God and act and end that life and do it quickly before they get born or before they grow up. 1950, Dr. Henry Hazelden, after delivering a baby, this baby had some defects, and it could have been fixed with surgery. But this doctor, he said this, there's no doubt the child would be defectly, defective mentally, 
and morally if allowed to live. It might be criminal. Certainly it would be dependent. It would be a burden to itself and to society. He let that baby die on the table. Could have saved it. But he let that baby die. Instead of saving lives, he's destroying lives. And then Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, yes, the same as Kellogg cereals, same family. We have wonderful new races of horses, cows, and pigs. Why should we not have a new and improved race of man? That was said during the first national conference on race betterment. Others who found it, Carnegie, Rockefellers, basically what are they saying? We need to create a better race. So if there's any defects, any deformities, get rid of them. Eugenicists believe in evolution. They believe that man should be treated like animals, weed out the weak. Oh, and charities, nonprofits, helping the poor, the sick, stop it. You're prohibiting natural selection process. In other words, let them die they're meant to die. Don't help the poor. Don't help the needy. Don't help the sick. You have a child born with a, with, without a hand, without a finger, a certain sickness, let them die. That's what eugenists believe. You need to understand this because a lot of us maybe have looked right up. We don't even know about this, right? Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, said this, Organized charity itself is a symptom of malignant social disease. Our civilization has bred, is breeding, and is perpetuating constantly increasing numbers of defectiveness, delinquents, and dependence. My criticism, therefore, is not directed at the failure of philanthropy, but rather at its process. She's upset that we're taking care of people, that we're helping the sick, that we're helping the poor. God commands us to care for the poor. Margaret Sanger says, get rid of them. Amazing that they're trying to throw all this in here. And this all happened before 1883, by the way, and before the early 1900s, and before this is still going on right now, by the way. But back in the time of the Romans, when you go back to the time of Paul, and you're reading through the New Testament, they would have on inscripted, it's called the Law of Twelve Tables. It says this, an obviously deformed child must be put to death. Plato and Aristotle were in full agreement. If we're going to build a strong army, we can't do that with weak people. Bottom line, there is this thing of playing God, choosing to be, decide who's good enough to live. Is it the thought of getting rid of the undesirables and populate the earth with desirables? Who decides that? Right here, they're saying man should decide that. I'm saying God decides. Life is valuable. Life is precious. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said, It's better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime, society can prevent those who manifestly are unfit for continuing this kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Now, why did he say this? Why did the Supreme Court Justice say this? He's referring to a case where a mother who had some mental handicap issues had a daughter. This daughter who was 18 showed signs of similar tendencies as her mom. So Supreme Court Justice said, we're going to sterilize this 18-year-old so she will not have any children like herself or her mom. And they allowed that to pass. Again, the movement is mankind trying to play God. What is our response? Sometimes it's mixed, isn't it? We like 
condemned or praised? How do we, how do we move with this? Science starts to challenge us, and then we start to question God's word. And when, as soon as we start questioning God's word, our foundation for all this, that's when we get in trouble. Point is, when you replace God's authority with man's authority, expect chaos, expect darkness, expect death, expect judgment. Margaret Sanger, please listen to this, founder of Planned Parenthood, she said this. She said the solution... Let me put forward one. She said the solution to decrease inferior population through birth control and abortion, and she wrote this in her book. It's called The Point... Uh, I'm sorry, The Pivot of Civilization... And this book clearly shows that what Planned Parenthood is about, Planned Parenthood may have some good programming. I understand that. But you need to understand who the founder is and what their underlying agenda is. She says this, If you are a delinquent, a defective, a dependent, insane, feeble-minded, illiterate, you should be sterilized so that there will be no more of you will be born. Some of you have had children born with maybe a deficiency. She has her way. Your kid's never born. Mentally, issues, struggling with problems in your life, you shouldn't have been born, according to Margaret. She wanted this widespread, supported by the government. Nothing has changed. Planned Parenthood is still the same. We need to be aware of this. Cleverly reworded, disguised to sound good. They might provide various things, but again, their foundation is based on Margaret Sanger's beliefs on eugenics. Birth control was to create a race of thoroughbreds. Those were her words. She also said in an interview, it was a very eerie interview, I was watching this. She also said this, it's the bottom quote up on the screen. The biggest sin in the world is bringing children into the world. If you're Paying any attention to politics today, there are some freshman people in our government, newly elected, who said the very same thing. When the whole Green Deal came out, and they were talking about this about a month ago, you can go back and you can find, I can help you if you want. But we had a senator, representative of our, our government, say, no, we ought to just stop having kids. She almost said it word for word. She, she, didn't, she left out the word sin, but she said the world needs to stop bringing children into the world. Amazing. With all that being said, I want you to hear the truth, church. I share all these things with you, and like I said, there's so much more. There's so much more. And it's almost overwhelming. So where do we stand on this? This is what I want you to know. Paul said this, we are God's masterpiece. We have value. We have a precious life that God has given us. We have purpose. Every time you hold a child, see a child, that is precious gift right there. No matter what's wrong with them, they are a gift from God. They need to be loved, not set aside. Not said, oh, they should have never been born. Shame on us for using those kind of words. Life is precious. Life is valuable. God has given that life to us. And I want to encourage us to share that truth with others. To preserve life. To help those in times of need. Let me say it again, like I said at the beginning. We all sin. I do not stand here and condemn those who have had abortions. I do not. I've messed up in my life. I've made choices that I regret. And there's a lot of people right now looking for healing, not to be shamed, not to be condemned. As a church, we introduce each other to the Savior 
who says, I'll take away that condemnation. I'll take away that shame. Worship team, would you come forward, please? God's never surprised or shocked by our disobedience. He's grieved. And he looks at us and he says, just reach back out to me. Just reach back out to me. I'll forgive you. And I will bring hope and healing. And this world needs God's hope, God's healing. Amen? I mean it when I say there's hope. Some sins have greater consequences than other sins. But all sins are forgivable. God desires that we find peace with him and return to that fruitful life. So church, I want to encourage you these truths. Life is valuable. Life is precious. Life has purpose. We are not God. We do not decide those things. But we take the life that God's given us and we use it for his glory. So I want to encourage you with those words today. It's a tough topic to talk about, but it needs to be talked about. We need to know the truth. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, I humbly stand up here knowing that I've only scratched the surface of things to be discussed. But God, what I do know is that mankind has overlooked your gift of life. We have decided to play God and decide who is fit and who is not fit. We have decided which child is more valuable than another child. Forgive us, God, for these things. God, all creation is incredible and precious. And the children, especially, that we had up here this morning, to look at those young ones and to say that maybe they've got a problem, they shouldn't be here. Oh, for shame. Those children are a gift. As all the children in this church are a gift. As all the children throughout this community. God, I pray that we can be a church that understands this and that we have people lining up saying, hey, I want to teach, I want to serve, I want to, I want to get in the nursery and hold those precious kids or maybe I want to be in children's church or something. I just, I want to help teach them. And maybe that isn't the role. Maybe it's just to make sure that we're a little bit more kind and loving or just praying for our kids, the battles they face today, the temptations they face today, to pray for our children, to pray for our parents, to not give up, to pray for those who are struggling with making a decision as to whether or not to keep or board a child. Lord, for those of us who feel shame because of the sins that maybe we've committed, we ask for forgiveness today. Cleanse us, Lord. Remove our shame. Help us, Lord, to truly claim what we sang in the first song is the Lord of our life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of worship and seeking truth. God, we pray now as we sing this song that we worship you with these words. In our name we pray. Amen.